Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be with you on this summer day. At least it feels like summer uh, here in uh, here in Chicago. 90 degrees difference. It might as well be summer out, right? Um, as we continue in our series of Explore God, and today we're looking at the question: Is Christianity too narrow? For our modern 21st century, is Christianity too narrow for our world today? So you think this question um, stands out from the others in that I think this is becoming more and more necessary to talk about in our world today because of where we find ourselves. What people would call the globalization of our world today. In years and generations past, they, they certainly knew of other cultures and other religions, but for the most part, those who could travel and experience these were the high, the elites, and it was something that we only knew about in textbooks or from what our teachers would have told us. But today, when we think about people of different cultures and worldviews and religions, we're not just thinking of people who are long ways away from us, who are so unlike us. If you're like me, you think of your neighbors. You think of your friends, think of your family. For many of us, we think of coworkers and other people that we know for a long time. And as we grow up and as we live into a world that is experiencing more and more an, an influx of all of what the world has to offer, does Christianity still have something to say in our world today? Or is it outdated? Is it too narrow from a former time before? Well, pluralism, or the existence of many religions or belief in many gods, is certainly not new in our world. And this morning we're going to look together at a passage in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to open them this morning. Uh, if, if you use the, the blue Bible in the, the back in front of you, it's on page 926, I believe. And in Acts chapter 17, um, we, we run into the story of a man named Paul. Now, Paul is well-known in Christianity. He was a man who started off his life by persecuting Christians, killing them, till he encountered and met Jesus. His life was changed, and the mission of his life became to travel around the world, spreading the message of Jesus and starting churches all over the world. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul finds himself in a city that is known as Athens, the city that still exists today in modern-day Greece. And Athens is, is this home of all these different gods, a pluralistic world, if you would. And as we look at Paul's story and his interaction here in Athens, we're going to discover together this morning three distinctive traits of Christianity in a pluralistic world. Three distinctive traits of Christianity in a pluralistic world. The first trait that we see in this passage is the strangeness of Christianity. The strangeness or the uniqueness of Christianity in a pluralistic world. Let's jump in. Acts chapter 17, verse 16 says this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. It was the hub of pluralism and of philosophy and thought in their day. Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. The Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. The Epicurean philosophers would be most similar to what we would call in our time someone who is agnostic or maybe deistic, but mostly agnostic, meaning this, that Belief in God wasn't really a personal thing, and if a God did happen to exist, he wasn't involved in our world today. 
It emphasized reason. There was no life after death. What you see is what you get. That was the Epicurean way of life. And for the Stoics, they were what we would call pantheists, meaning their worldview was one that, that we should seek out harmony, that God is in all and he's everywhere, and the goal of life is to find harmony and meet God through everything that exists. So these two schools of philosophy were there and talked with Paul. Some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. The, the literal translation of that word is Mars Hill. This is sometimes known as Paul's messenger encounter on Mars Hill, saying this to Paul. May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. In our pluralistic world today, Christianity will stand out as being a strange belief sometimes. Too often as believers, as followers of Jesus, we've wanted to mold in to what the world would have us say. And I just want you to know today that if your neighbors, if your family thinks you're kind of strange, that's okay. In fact, they probably should if you're walking with Jesus how you should be and they aren't following Jesus. Our lives should look strange sometimes to the world. As, as we see Paul here interacting with these philosophers of these different worldviews and backgrounds and their strong reactions towards him, primarily his teaching of two things, Jesus and the resurrection, I think it helps us give insight to this question, which is often brought up in discussions of Christianity, is this, well, aren't all religions just different paths to the same God? Aren't all religions of the world just different paths that ultimately lead to the same God? Now, are there similarities between certain religions? The answer, of course, is yes. There are similarities and there are overlaps. There are things in common amongst many different of the major religions in the world today. Some of those would be theological similarities. Many of those are ethical similarities. The idea that people should love others is commonly seen throughout most, if not all, of the major religions of the world. So not every religion is entirely unique and stand aside, but do they all lead to the same God. From Paul's interaction with these and from, from what we know of it, I would argue that no, they don't all lead to the same God. They don't all lead to the same God. And there's a few reasons why just logically not every religion can lead us to the exact same place. The first is this, is that amongst religions, there's a difference in some of having an impersonal idea of God versus a personal God. Is God impersonal? Is he a force? A mystery out there that we can, that can somehow become a part of, or is God a personal God, someone who we can know and have a relationship with? These are fundamentally different views of who God is and cannot be reconciled to be saying they, say, they teach the same thing. Even amongst religions that teach that there is a personal God, of which Christianity is one, that you could have a relationship with God, even amongst those, there are irreconcilable differences between what they believe about God. For instance, one major world religion believes that God would never take on human flesh. And the core of Christianity is that God has taken on human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus. And so there are irreconcilable differences between major world religions on what we view God to be. The second difference that we see amongst religions is how to get to God. Many religions emphasize this idea of karma, 
which is all about works and what you do. It's how much effort you put in. The idea, ultimately, that you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. The opposite of karma is what Christianity teaches as grace, which is you get what you don't deserve. That's what Christianity teaches. And these different paths to God where you work hard enough and you do enough stuff that you can hopefully earn your way to God versus other teachings, Christianity, which would say, no, you can't do that, so grace is needed. It's not deserved. It has nothing to do with your own human efforts. These simply don't line up. The third reality of of world religions that don't line up is the final goal of these religions. The end point, what are, what are we leading to as we follow the religions of the day? For some, it's simply you keep coming back into existence, hopefully moving higher up. For some, it's after hundreds of lifetimes, you've hopefully achieved this mystic state into which you no longer be reborn. And even those that teach the idea of heaven, what, what exists in that heaven and the purpose for heaven and meeting with God is vastly different. So Christianity does stand out as being somewhat strange in our world today. It cannot simply be reconciled with, well, it's just one of many ways that leads us to the same God. And I think if you were to to have good conversation with people of other faiths, they would often agree and say the same thing. That it's not just everyone is all on the way to the same place. Paul stands out, not just in his teaching, but throughout scripture in his life as being strange from the world around us. Now, when I tell you that Christians should be seen as strange, I'm not saying that we should have outdated fashion and an awkward social factor with other people. Sometimes that's what the world thinks of us. They're like, yeah, you're right, Christians are strange. Not for the sake of being strange, but this strange in how we live our lives and what we value in the world. When I was young, as probably many of us, and, and I think they're still even popular today, there was these books um, that were all called Magic Eye Books. Magic Eye Books, which had a pattern on it, and if you looked closely, you were supposed to be able to see kind of a hidden picture within the picture. These are an example. So this looks like a picture of a bunch of different teddy bears. And I can stare at that thing all day long, and all I see is a bunch of teddy bears. But if you look close enough, supposedly you're supposed to see this picture within it. You're supposed to see three teddy bears sitting there with a basket. Now, I thought, this is ridiculous. This is just a scam that someone's been running for dozens of years to sell books. And I asked my wife about this, and she goes, oh, I can do that. That's no problem. I said, prove it. Prove it. So this weekend, I showed her this picture. This is the truth. I showed her this picture. I said, what do you see? She kind of looked at it, went back and forth, and then said, oh, it's a big cactus with a longhorn bull standing behind it. And I was like, what did you just do? Like, what, what, what just happened? I was like, all right, there, once, well, fool me once, but you can't do two. So I went to the next picture, and I showed her this. And I said, that, that just looks like a bunch of nothing. That just looks like a bunch of nothing. And she goes, she looked at it for about two seconds. and was like, oh, no, 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 that's easy. That's a guy playing a bass guitar. Not just any guitar, a bass guitar. And I was like, how does she do this? What magic does she have that I don't, what is going on? So often and too often, finding Christians in our world is like finding the hidden picture in something like this. You look at their lives, you look at, well, how do they spend their time? It looks just like everyone else. How do they spend their money? 
A lot like everyone else. What is their value system? A lot like everyone else. And we don't stand out in any way from the world around us. In our pluralistic world, if you're a follower of Jesus, can I encourage you this morning that we, in this time, in this place, we need to stop trying to blend in and start standing out for Jesus. We need to stop trying to blend into the world around us. And we need to have the courage to stand out for Jesus in our world. This could be hard. It can take some courage. It could bring upon us the judgment of others who might not fully understand us. But as Christians, our world and our life should look different from others. And the strangeness of Christianity in a pluralistic world is we have different things when we think about our values, our time, our money, how we engage with the issues of our world. We don't just do what our culture has said, but we do what God's word instructs us to do. After seeing this strange teaching, Paul is invited to speak on Mars Hill about it. And as Paul starts to speak to them, the second thing that we're going to see about Christianity in a pluralistic society is the inclusiveness of Christianity. The inclusiveness that is found in Christianity um, amongst a pluralistic society. So Paul says this, Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 21. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing of something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Rapagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. We see this inclusion that Christianity has. And as Paul works his way through this, we're going to look at three different ways that Christianity is inclusive of all people in our world. How is Christianity an inclusive religion? Well, first we see that that in Christianity, we see God is the creator and sustainer of all people. God is the creator and sustainer of all people. In verses 24 to 26, that's so clearly seen by Paul's speech, as if God needs us for life. But no, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is the creator and sustainer of all people. By highlighting God as creator, 
He, he goes at those Greek philosophers who would think that life is merely chance, that it's purposeless, that there's no reason or meaning behind our existence here. Because Paul says if life is just chance, if we're just here, then that's one thing. But if we have a creator, if there is someone who made us and sustains us, that gives us a purpose and a meaning for our life that we have meaning because we are created and sustained by God, each and every one of us here today. Not only, though, is he attacking this kind of view of life being just a random set of chances, but Paul also attacks their racial superiority that the Greeks would have about themselves. Notice in verse 26 when he says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the earth. See, in the Greek minds, there were two people in the world. There were the Greeks and there were the barbarians. I'm not an expert in history, but I'm pretty sure barbarians isn't a nice way to refer to everyone else in the world who's not like you. They saw themselves as superior, as better than everyone else in the world. But Paul says, God is the creator and sustainer of all people. And there is no prejudice or racial superiority that, that can overcome God as our creator and sustainer of all people, no matter where they come from or no matter what culture or religion they were born into. Too often in our world today, our, in our climate, we only affirm this view that all people have dignity, worth, and value when it helps us or it helps our political ideologies. But God is above that. And he is the creator and sustainer of all people of all times and in all places. God creates and sustains all life, whether you're from the north, the south, the west side, or the suburbs. God is the creator and sustainer of your life. God is the creator and sustainer whether you're a doctor or a dropout from high school. God is the creator and sustainer of your life. Whether you've gone to church every Sunday of your life or you've never gone to church once before, God is the creator and sustainer of your life. Whether you're still in the womb of your mother or whether you're 100 years old, God is the creator and sustainer of life. Whether you own a penthouse suite downtown or you're out on the street and you have no home, God is the creator and sustainer of life. Whether you're a fifth or sixth generation American or whether you're walking towards this country hoping for a better future for your family, God is the creator and sustainer of all life. We see dignity and worth and value in every person because every single person, no matter where they live or come from, no matter what they believe, is created and sustained by God. Not only that, but we see that God is close to all. God is close to us. It's what theologians call the imminence of God. He not only is a God who is transcendent, meaning he's great and he's holy, but he's a God who is close to his creation. This would go against a deism that says there may be a God who made the world, but he doesn't care about what happens now. And he's removed himself from our circumstances. Paul says, no, no, God is close to us. He can be known by us. And that's the third thing, that God can be known by all. If God is close to us and we are his offspring, then each and every one of us can know God. That God can be known by each and every one of us no matter where we come from or are in the world. As we think of this idea that, that Paul lays out there as he talks of this idea of people striving after God, hoping that they may seek him, 
What came to mind as I thought of that this week is this phrase that is often brought up, especially in our times today, which I've heard several times before, of people seeking after God, and the phrase goes something like this, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Right? As long as you're sincerely seeking after God, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Several years ago, I was introducing myself. I had just moved into a different place, and I was introducing myself to one of my neighbors. I asked him a little bit about his life, his family, what he did, and then he asked me, and I told him, you know, my name's Michael. I serve as a pastor. He cut me off and said, I believe that it doesn't matter what you believe in. It's just as long as you're sincere, you go to heaven. So I said, all right, I get the picture. Like, relax. I'll still be nice to you right? But why, why do we push forward this argument sometimes? Maybe even we might believe it ourselves. Why do we think that the only thing that matters is the sincerity of our hearts? Well, does sincerity matter? Yes. Yes, of course it matters. But sincerity doesn't change the reality of what's out there. I could sincerely believe, because it's going to be 50 degrees today, that winter is over, <laughs> and I would entirely be wrong. Right? We know it's going to get cold and it's going to snow again. We know that it'll get warm and then in early March, it's going to have second winter and it's going to get cold and snow again. And if you've lived here, you know when you think you're done with it, late March, early April, third winter, right? It's going to snow and it's going to get cold again. It doesn't matter how sincerely I believe that winter's over, reality says it's not. So why do we argue that it's just the sincerity of our beliefs that matter? Sometimes we do this just to avoid talking about it. We don't want to have a discussion that could become an argument. So we, we put this out there to kind of shut things down before it starts. Maybe we genuinely have never studied any religion and what it teaches. And so we may actually think this because we haven't done enough study to think otherwise. But I think sometimes we believe this about our world and about ourselves because if this is true, it means that we get to behave, believe whatever we want, and behave however we want. And that's what we care about. That we can behave however we want, as long as we're doing what's sincere and out of our hearts, it doesn't really matter. Friends, we don't just need sincerity, though, in our world. We need the truth. We don't just need to be sincere about our convictions. We need to seek after and try and find the truth. So what is the truth that Christianity claims to put forward? What is it that Paul could bring to the city of Athens that they didn't already have in all of their other gods? The third thing we see, the third trait of Christianity in a pluralistic culture is the exclusiveness of Christianity. The exclusiveness of Christianity. Paul says this, The times of ignorance God overlooked but now, he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. Is Christianity exclusive? In some ways, yes. Yes, Christianity in some ways is exclusive. Allow us to, to think together on this. The action that Paul calls them towards is to what? To repent, 
to repent, to admit you are wrong, you are a sinner, and that you need your assistance, your salvation from someone besides your own good good deeds. We need to repent. Why does he call on them to repent? An unpopular opinion in our world, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. The world will end. There is a finality to our existence here. Whether it's God returns or we end this life, judgment is coming. And that judgment, though, isn't one that we need to fear. It's not of our flawed legal system. It's one of righteousness. It's a righteous judgment. Well, how do we know it's a righteous judgment? Because of the one who will be judging. The one, he said, who is appointed by God. Clearly here, Paul is referring to Jesus himself, who will be the judge of the living and the dead. Well, what qualifies Jesus to get to do this? Of all the religions and teachings of the world, what qualifies Jesus to have the right at the end of the world to judge each and every person for how they live their lives? It's the resurrection from the dead. That's what uniquely qualifies Jesus amongst all other religious teaching and world leaders to claim that he is the way to God and there is no other. See, the resurrection and Jesus, these two things stand at the core of what Christianity believes. By believing in Jesus, his name literally means God saves us. It means we cannot work ourselves to get to God. We can try, but we believe you can't get there. But God sent one to to bridge the gap between us and God. So that instead of thinking of all the things we have to do, the only thing we're called to do is to repent and to believe on him. We believe in the resurrection. That he not only paid the penalty for our sins, but he rose from the dead and rules and reigns and lives today. Jesus just didn't tell us the way to God. He provides the way to God. Jesus just didn't say that one day if death could be defeated, he defeated it himself. It's what uniquely qualifies him amongst all of the world. I love what one pastor said one time. He said, if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm going to go with whatever that guy says. That's what Christianity comes down to. Jesus came down. He said he was going to die and rise from the dead. And everyone's like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. And then he did it. And that's the core of what we believe. That God made a way through Jesus Christ when we could not on our own find him. That Jesus came and through the resurrection defeated death and sin so that we can have a relationship with God. It is the path, the way that God has provided for us. I was looking through some things recently in my house, an old box of memories that I have, and I came across uh, my first driver's license. I think we have a picture of it. My first driver's license right when I had turned 16. (laughs) You all have an embarrassing picture like this too somewhere, right? We we all have that picture of our first driver's license. And think back to, to all the things that had to go in to getting a driver's license. It didn't matter how much you wanted your driver's license. Remember, you had to go, at least for me, obviously in the state of Michigan, I had to go, you had to go to classes. You had to go to have a guy drive with you outside. Then you had to do your hours. We you had to drive outside and log your hours. And then you had to take the dreaded driving test. Right? You're like, don't get in a car accident. Don't get in a car accident. This guy's judging me for everything I do. 
And if you were able to do all of those things, that was the path to which you could have your driver's license. If I showed up to the DMV on my 16th birthday and said, hey, I want my license. They said, well, have you done this? No, but I really want it. Oh, well, but have you done this? Uh, I, I play video games where I drive and I'm really good at it. So therefore I want my driver's license. Well, no, I don't get it because the the state has the authority over us to tell us the path to get that. If God is the creator and sustainer of our world as Christians believe, then God has the authority to tell us the path to him. And it's not through our sincerity or own creativity. It's through Jesus Christ. So we started today with this question. Is Christianity too narrow? Is it too narrow? And my answer would be no. Christianity may be seen as too narrow. You could even say it's narrow. But is Christianity too narrow? I would say no. 1 Timothy 2 is one of Paul's last writings. The same man who we studied here in Acts chapter 17. And he says this, speaking of God, God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This inclusivity, God wants all people to be saved. That's his desire. It's widely inclusive to all of humanity. But notice this, for there is one God and there is one mediator. There's one go-between, between God and us, mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. It's for you and it's for me, regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of where we come from. God's desire is inclusive of everyone, but it's exclusive through the path which he has specified, which is Jesus Christ. Exclusively through Jesus, all can be included in the family of God. You may think to yourself, well, you just said Christians are strange. Why would I want into that? Well, it's true that we do have some strange things that are lacking in our world today. Our world's looking for hope. Christians have it. Our world is looking for a meaning and a purpose to what we see around us. And in Jesus, we have the purpose for our lives. Our world is looking for love. And in Jesus, you can find the most unconditional love that's ever existed. The offer is open to you today. Exclusively through Jesus, anyone can be included into the family of God. Father, we thank you this morning for Jesus. We thank you that in the depths of our sin and despair and inability that he came and he paved a way so that we could know you. God, would you stir up in our hearts the ability to respond to you. God, for those who are here this morning and have never put their faith in Jesus as the way to salvation, today, may today be the day that exclusively through Jesus, they become a part of the all-inclusive family of God. God, may we stand out in our world as Christians. May we be known for our hope, for our love. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in nothing less than Jesus Christ. We ask that all that's done and said here today would praise and honor and glorify him. Praise in Jesus' name.